Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com slash support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and right. I, we think we ought to, we deserve full shares, right? right baby? You see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation is really good. Move, get out of there. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts. Patrick Green! That cut off, you need to do it again. <laughs> In English. <laughs> Patrick Green. Hang on, let me do it again without the laughter, because it's going to sound Patrick Green. Christian Matska. Andy Geek Girl. And Perry Chicos. And Xander House, who's also here with us, listening in. How you doing, Xander? I'm glad that you're here. And tonight, we are here to discuss uh, part of our ongoing miniseries, The Legacy of Giger's Beast. But we're going to jump into this, discussing movie monsters. Not just monsters, but things in movies that scare us, and why they scare us. And as we have these discussions... We're going to get it back to Giger's monster and what makes it so scary. And of course, we've talked about this quite a bit in terms of its humanness, its human quality, in terms of its reproduction and how it looks. It's very phallic. It's just, there's all these things about it that's us and so much of it that isn't us. But before we get back into it, I'm just, I think we should just start like for you guys, what scared you in movies before or even if it's before or after Alien, like what movies have you seen where you're seeing a creature or some type of humanoid or whatever that really scared you and why? And before before people start with this, just a brief you know heads up. We, we were kind of teasing getting into Alien 3 for this conversation on the last episode. We're actually going to table that because we want to save it for our anniversary roundtable kickoff that's going to coincide with Alien Day because this year is the 30th, not the 35th anniversary of Alien 3. And we have a lot of coverage, as you probably know, lined up for it. And Alien Day is going to be kind of our kickoff. So we're going to hold off on some of that creature stuff, um, you know, until then. But yeah, but anyway, the floor is open. I want to start. I can um, kick it off, gang. Kick it off. If you want. I'm going to call you Mash. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. Wow. Um, no, we're missing Mash tonight, obviously. I know he's going to listen to this. But I, yeah, I would have to say... Um, j- just growing up, a lot of the horror films that I ex- experienced were probably more humanoid outside of Alien, like the, uh, the Xenomorph, the Beast was truly horrifying to me uh, growing up so much as I was telling Jamie before we started tonight that I still have like I've recently ha- have had nightmares <laughs> about the Alien, um, which I know we all do, but uh, I've I'm talking things like Halloween was really scary to me. Michael Myers. I love those films now. 
Um, but when I was a child, I would too have like nightmares of, about um, Michael just like being chased by something like that, uh, which was always very scary to me. So, so in the same sense, um, reading things like Dracula um, and, and seeing, I guess, TV or mo- movie versions of that always scared me. I, I, I loved reading like um, a lot of Stephen King books to like in junior high. So like Salem's lot still to this day is like one of um, the scarier books that like, sometimes I don't like to read that book at night because it, it just freaks me out. Um, And so with that, like even like it, right. Like the it clown and like that entity and, and things of that nature really, I guess, scared me. It, It was like tapping into sort of like this unknown, and, and going back to to the Halloween films too, I really liked the, from the filmmaking perspective that you got a lot of like POV shots of Michael or the camera moving and you feel like you're in the room, but the but whoever is there, like you don't know what's, what's there, right? And then they might cut to a shot where you're seeing like the main character, whoever is in the room or whatnot, and then something is like in the background of the shot and you don't notice it until later. You're like, Oh my God, that like, that's there. And then something happens, right? Like something to that effect. So like, I I always loved the filmmaking side of it and how they would cut things and edit it together to make it more scary. Um, Bringing that back to like alien, what freaks me out about it is half the time, at least in alien and in alien three, I guess those two specifically is, is a lot of it is like what you can't see what isn't there right and so i I know like james cameron played a lot of that too in like jaws and things like that there's there's a lot like left up to the imagination and i know that's something we touch on a ton um but that that's like truly what where those films i think would were so scary to me and and some others just off the top of my head like and like the exorcist that film freaked me out as a kid like the the supernatural things like that like like what always would always scare me and i and i think it was always a combination of like music like sound effects yeah maybe the gore things like that but just like the the darkness the horror like the evil behind it like that always freaked me out in the face of the enemy let the enemy have no power over And the sound of iniquity be powerless to harm Your mother sucks cocks and hell, oh, Paris, you faithless slime. Even, like, I'm thinking, like, X-Files, too. Like, hearing the X-Files theme song when I was a kid, like, always, I would always change the channel. I was like, <laughs> oh, I can't listen to that. <laughs> um, but no, and, and so what's great now, at least, like, experiencing, experiencing those when I was younger, uh, is now I really cherish them a lot, especially since, like, Halloween's one of my favorite holidays. Uh, I really get into it. I love decorating the house and things like that. So like now I love like going back and watching these old films that like I really didn't take time or really just didn't like seek out to watch right when I was a kid. Like if they were on TV, I did. But like I've randomly been finding myself like watching on Amazon, like Hellraiser and like American Werewolf in London, like those sorts of older films and uh just like truly enjoying experiencing like some of the, I think, I don't know, the initial breakthrough films in the horror genre that kind of led up to, you know, obviously some of the things that we see today, but I just love that 
I can still get into those films for nostalgic purposes, but then that those still scare me a lot. And and I think a lot of it to just, it's just that unknown, right? Like that, that piece of it that you have to imagine in your own mind of like what's happening, what isn't there that you have to kind of fill in, fill in the dots. Cause yeah, I think whatever you create in your own head can sometimes be scarier than what anything that they, they put on the screen, you know? So yeah, that that's just kind of how, where I'll leave it, at least for me. Well, to jump on that just a little bit, um, I have some older cousins that I was visiting when I was a little kid, and they thought it would be a great idea to teach me the Freddy Krueger rhyme. You know, one, two, Freddy's coming for you. with no context. And so <laughs> and we were in this gigantic church after, you know, after the service and like, listen to this, it's really important. And so I had this thing in my head and this concept with no, not even imagery, just, you know, the, the rhyming words. Um, and so I had a, a years of being very, very scared of the concept of Freddy Krueger without ever having the opportunity to see the films or understand they're not actually that scary. And in fact, as the series goes on, he becomes sort of a clown. But um, similarly, in a, a class in college, we were shown just the first five minutes or so of Dario Argento's Suspiria. And with the goblin soundtrack and the crazy color pattern, I, I thought, this is it. This is the most amazingly scary movie ever. And so I rented it and I, I brought it to my dorm room, got all my friends together and we watched it. <laughs> And those first five minutes are the best part of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes just getting a taste is the best thing um, and, can, and can excite your imagination and make you think that something far scarier is going to happen. Uh, another one that hit me at a young age, have you guys seen Possession with Isabella Gianni and Sam Neill? Um, very weird film that you think is going to just be about um, a couple going through infidelity. But no, there's a monster and it's it's crossing from West Berlin to East Berlin. And so there's all these, you know, if you move from one zone to another, the rules stop applying. And when you find out what's really going on, it's very Lovecraftian and, and sick. It's great. And then there was one final one then I'll stop. There's something about like slugs or leeches that would pull people under the water and they were gigantic. They were like ridiculously large, but I saw it as, as too young a child. And so this idea of there being these slimy amorphous forms that could, you know, feed off you, but I have no idea what the film was. I just, I saw it at a, hmm. a friend's house. Like, this is terrible, terribly scary. So how about you guys? Well, to um, go off of your whole co older cousins, um, <laughs> scaring you thing same thing happened to me except it was the jason films and it was that whatever that chant he says like ch -ch 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 -ah. same thing it was like that sound and all that's all i needed 
to just have my imagination take me to this horrible place. Like, oh my God, what does that mean? What is that? Um, so with those same cousins is when I actually saw aliens for the first time as well. So there's a lot of <laughs> formative sort of horror moments um, from that. I do want to go back to The Exorcist because I think that's be between that and alien, that whole notion of your body not being yours and something inside. And I remember the one scene that scared me more than any was when um, her skin like rose sort of in relief with the words help me. And I was horrified. It was the most, it was more than the pea soup and any of the head twirling. It was that moment that, you know, it kind of had the an alien vibe to it where something's in there, but she is no longer in control of her own body. She's no longer herself. Horrifying to me. And then I want to say it's not a horror movie, but it was probably the most horrifying moment that I had seen as a kid. I happened to walk in when my mom was watching Sophie's Choice. Okay. And it happened to be that scene, like right before. I remember like not knowing, I didn't know anything about Nazis. I was little. And um, what I knew of it was like from Indiana Jones. And that stayed with me. It's still, I still think of that scene. And the fact that it was something that actually happened, the fact that it was the, you know, humanity against humanity it wasn't a creature it was like the worst thing and i think it goes back to what we talked about last time which to me the humans are the scariest things um it's i've always been devastated by that um and then as far as creatures it wasn't scary per se but i do want to say that that pale man from pan's labyrinth stuck with me you know it's sort of alienish with the smooth dome but then the eyeless you know it had no eyes except on the hands which was so freaky to me um and like the jowls and the face like had this like aging you know the our fear of aging that like, sort of built it was just so creepy to me um so that's one that stood out fairly recently yeah there's a lot of great stuff that's come up I, i'm i'm hesitating to talk about the thing because jamie kind of called it the beginning so I, I'll, okay. I'll tee it up for jamie to get into to, to me that's like the only the only creature feature that parallel that, that can come close to alien uh, in terms of it's like the, the way in which the creatures in that film imprint themselves on you when you see them for the first time or it rather for the first time, the way that Rob Botan's, uh, you know, incredible makeup work and special effects work just pierces the veil of the cinema and makes you feel like you're seeing actual impossibilities and they're all done physically. I mean, to me, that's like, you know, and I, I do want to clear room for Jamie to talk about it too. But just speaking personally, that's it is it is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a movie that was really indelible for me when I was a, a young person, and uh, and it's a movie that I still I still think of as like that's basically the epitome of practical VFX work in cinema history. And I think that in addition to that, obviously the story and the characterizations, the setting, and the you know the metaphorical aspects of it are all in, unimpeachably great. But also the simple idea of, like Andy was saying just now and on, on our previous episode, you know, that the scariest thing is each other. Like the, there's this wonderful, you know, aspect to that film of It Walks Among Us 
and it could be any of us. And so the whole time, even, even before we see anything, we are so distrustful of what we're looking at and we start getting this deep-seated paranoia, which of course harkens back to the original from the 50s. But the way that Carpenter just, you know, brings it into, into this very contemporary context, I think is just extremely good. And I want to do a special shout out, talk about creature features, to a video game that uh, I adore, well, Dead Space is one of them, but I actually wasn't going to go there, but I'm seeing Perry and I know we're both Dead Space fans. Dead Space is a, a great one, if anybody hasn't played that yet. And I think the Necromorphs are incredibly terrifying and all the things that accompany that. But the game that I actually was going to bring up is a game called Carrion, which uh, came out two years ago. It's an independent game. And I just like absolutely adore everything about that game. The creature design I think is terrifying and it has you know millions a very clear alien and predator and the thing references all throughout it and it's just an extraordinary game so if, if anybody hasn't played carrion yet uh go pick it up it's an independent you know it's small release incredibly well done very frightening and it gets at a lot of the themes that make the thing so interesting but it's a reverse horror game in that you play the creature in it and you're you know stalking people it's just an it's just an amazing experience and i want to give a shout out to that uh but going back to so i'm you know a creature feature monster movie buff and i have a lot of different kind of buckets that i put them into to me there's one bucket that is basically just the alien films and the thing which is that like it's just this totally just ineffable incredible horror that is just sort of untouched by anything else although moments you know in movies like under the skin and annihilation kind of come close to that too and that it you know presents very deep truths about the human condition in a horror context then there's movies that are like one rung up below that in terms of they're a little bit schlocky but they still kind of freak me out i would put the blob from the late 80s in that category which kind of gets under my skin i would put the fly you know the david cronenberg the fly in there because it's like a little bit schlocky but it is pretty well it's i mean extremely well done and it and it's kind of stays with you um I'd also put a movie like Shin Godzilla in that list. I'm a big Godzilla guy, as everybody knows. Uh, Shin Godzilla, which came out, I guess, five or six years ago now, was sort of like a, a you know a, a Japanese market response to the newer, you know, the Gareth Edwards film that came out, which I also love. But it kind of takes Godzilla back to its horror roots because if you watch the original film, the Honda film, like it's it is a scary, it's a legitimately scary movie. Like it might not have aged perfectly, but it's still frightening and it plays with pretty deep horror concepts. So Shin Godzilla takes this body horror thing and turns it on its head by making the body horror come from Godzilla itself. And so Godzilla is in agony the entire time and he's molting and he's mutating and he's in pain and it's just very fright it's it kind of gets under your skin in addition to the other things that make godzilla great i think that's a really good movie um and you know going back to something that you know christian you were talking about that early experience you had with the leeches you know uh, something that happened to me when i was little in in as far as it was a movie that i saw before i should have seen it and it really like fucked me up for a while was Chaws the revenge which i have to say is is not a great film but for like a five-year-old, I don't know how I got a copy of it, but when I was five or six, I somehow got the VHS to it. Maybe somebody left it at our house. Like, I literally don't know why that was in our basement. Maybe it was my parents. I don't know. But I, uh, I watched it alone. And I remember Sean, uh, uh, what's his name? Sean Brody, obviously, yeah, he's, he's Brody's son. Sean Brody's death in the beginning like really freaked me out because he gets like pulled out of the boat and everything. And you watch it now and it's so stupid. But as like a five-year-old, I mean, I really thought I was watching a shark, you know, come out of the water supernaturally and rip somebody apart. Um, 
and just briefly, a couple of other kind of honorable mentions that I have is Creature from the Black Lagoon, I think holds up incredibly well, the original film, as an example of a creature feature with a very artful bent. And I mean, the underwater sequences in that movie still look absolutely astonishing. I, I just adore that film. And I think they did such a great job with it. Um, I also so think that- too. It's it's meditative. It's most of it's shot on location. It's just a it's just a great it's a great film, and a great creature feature that prefigures a lot of the creature features that we're talking about. It came thirty or forty years earlier than most of them. Um, the Descent is another semi modern yes. creature feature that scares the fuck out of me. That I think yes. is really well done. Thank you, Patrick. That's a good one, right? That's very yes. scary. I forgot um, to bring that one up. Yeah, that's a good one. And uh, one other early memory that I have is Nedry's death in Jurassic Park, which of course now, you know, you look at it and it's nothing. But before I saw the movie, I had the trading cards and his death scene from the Dilophosaurus, which is now my one of my favorite parts of the movie. You know, it just shows him covered in black goo screaming. And I remember being, so, I had nightmares about that because I didn't know like what could possibly have caused it. So Jurassic Park is up there for me too. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it. I, I have more, but I'll save it. To pivot back to the thing, what scared me about the thing was certainly it's weird because it is to what we're all saying. It's part of us, but it's not. And who who, who is the thing right now? Who is it infected? So that's scary. But then it starts growing these arms and everything. And, and then that one scene where the guy puts his fist through the the sternum. But it was also gross, too. Now, I don't like gross. I don't like blood. I don't like none of those things freak me out. But it was the combination between how gross it was and how terrifying it was it has stuck with me and still sticks with me. Like I will never forget experiencing that for the first time as a child and just not knowing what I'm seeing. And it's a different type of horror than the Giger creature. It's just different. It, there's something more psychological about the thing. I don't know how to explain that, but there's something else going on. I think because there's this insidiousness this intelligence about it like we're working on becoming one of you and we're seeing it in that process and then it gets a little bit better and then it gets a little bit better and who and then by the end it's like oh no it's actually become one of us but we're seeing the process we're seeing it like grow a human and oh it's just it's terrifying it's like invasion of the body snatchers but we're seeing what the pod is doing on a visceral level and that scared me to death Notable mention Pandorum when they're going through the ship. That's with um, Ben Foster and oh, Meg Ryan's former husband. What's his name? I always forget his name because uh, he's forgettable. Uh, what Dennis? Dennis Quaid. Quaid. Dennis yes. Quaid. When they're exploring the ship and there's these people-like things on the ship, and they've been on the ship for forever, so they've devolved. And they're very animalistic, but they're in tribes. Those things scare me to fucking death every time I see it. I'm scared as watching them as I am watching The Descent. Like, I don't know what it is. If you guys haven't seen Pandorum, watch it. The movie's actually, I think it's pretty good. Dennis Quaid's the, the worst part of it. But the story is pretty good. I don't know if I like the ending, but those things scare me to death. And I don't know why. And I think part of it is because they are us. They are us at our most animalistic, like devolving even further from us as Neanderthals, even back, even further away from that. Another notable mention is um, Altered States, when um, William Hurt goes into the tank and he regresses to human as animal form, and his he's terrorizing somebody in the basement. And they don't really, sh you see his figure kind of moving and the actor they got to portray this 
thing was fantastic. And you see his eyes glow a little bit here and there. That scene, that whole sequence terrified me. Also things that you don't see, uh, but are f terrifying Blair Witch. I saw that when that movie was just coming out um, and seeing Adam or someone in the basement towards the end. They're not showing you anything, but we're seeing this guy turned around in the corner and we're seeing people yell and scream and we're scared to death. And it's all up here. It's all up here. Terrifying. That to me, yes, yeah, so terrifying. I, I actually, the last Blair Witch movie, they actually end up showing her to you for a minute, and she's fucking terrified. They, I, I don't I have to watch the movie again. I, I think I, I wouldn't even watch that movie again without someone. Like, they do a really good job scaring you because they go back into the cabin, and it's another found footage, but it's, I, I think it's really unique. At any rate, that those types of things stayed with me and stay with me. You know, I'm always trying to scare myself. I like the idea of being scared. It feels like it feels like a rush, like you're on drugs or something. Like, what can scare me? And very little scares me, but like Hereditary and Tony Collette's, you see her barely crawling the walls behind her son, just sitting there at the top, like just the visuals in that are oh. so fucking scary. Yeah. And again, she is us. She is us, but doing things that were like, what, what, what's it doing? You know? Um, but we don't know. There's times in our lives when we're kind of, we kind of do a double take, like, what are they doing over there? We're not, we're not really sure, but this just takes it to another level. So those types of things scare me. Um, and of course, lots of pieces of that are in Giger's monster, but I still continue to look for things that scare me to death. And very little does like actually the woman in black with Daniel Radcliffe, that movie scared me to death. I don't know why it did. I don't, but I, I tried to watch it again the other day and I was still a little bit freaked out. Not as scared as I was the first time I saw that movie in the theater. I had my hands in front of my face. That doesn't happen to me. It was just doing something to me. So. That's my list of movies right now. I'm sure I have more. Jamie, I went camping after I saw Blair Witch. Oh, boy. On an island off the oh Boston boy. Harbor <laughs> where there was an old, there was like ruins. Things not to do. Yeah, things not to do. And on this island, there was like ruins of an old children's hospital. Oh, so let's just say oh, the goodness. paranoia was strong with me on that, on that trip. This is Burkittsville. Formerly Blair. It is a small, quiet Maryland town. There are an unusually high number of children laid to rest here. Yet no one in the town seems to recall anything unusual about this time. To us, anyway. Yet legend tells a different story. One whose evidence is all around us. Etched in stone. That one stayed with me. I agree with that. It's that is just, terrifying. Yeah, um, terrifying. Xander over in the chat, just, just briefly, I don't want to miss this, has a really good point, which is in Annihilation, the bear scene is another example of a creature moment that was kind of instantly iconic. And uh, I want to make sure we get that in there. Go ahead, Christian. Oh, just I saw um, Blair Witch on an opening night and I slept with the lights on, which is just the most ridiculous thing. I was in the middle of a city, but I just couldn't stand yeah. what my brain was doing with those images and that and again it's the it's the withholding of actual information you don't understand why what you're seeing is scaring you so badly oh boy but that but just it started a whole trend for me of puritan era witchcraft scares the crap out of me so even just the trailer for david eggers witch was I was, de it was debilitating. Like I had such a hard time. <laughs> it was, and it was years before I finally saw the film and the film is not 
anywhere near as scary. It's really, really good, but it's not as scary as what my brain had made it out to be from the little evocative images. Those trailer, those trailers were amazing. I that remember violin, the, the trailer that, with that, the axe. Remember that yeah, axe yep. was was chopping every like two seconds. Remember that? Yep. Yep. Oh, that's true. That's true. It's like so fucking scary <laughs> hey uh also just brief shout out a lot of people are talking about blair witch which i also agree the ritual is another good example of like a folk horror kind of a thing uh there's a great documentary on shutter right now for all those who have shutter subscriptions it's a three-hour documentary on the history of folk horror in on film and it's oh, called really? woodland day woodlands dark and days bewitched a history of folk horror and uh, i'm uh, i'm nearly done with it and it's uh, it's just it's really good and it goes into a lot of the roots of things that make a movie like blair witch so scary because um there's a reason the woods are frightening for us and there's a reason why so many folk tales have made for such great horror you know fiction and uh, and film so yeah check that out and uh, to that i think like i think of mothman which is of course based off mythology the mothman prophecies there's a movie with deborah messing and richard Gere. i think the movie's pretty creepy and you kind of you're not sure what everyone is seeing but a lot of people are seeing the same thing which is very strange to me why there's a community wide experience of everyone seeing this thing with wings i don't I don't know how that's explainable, but that movie freaked me out a little bit. Just the idea of it. Also, Antlers, which is a newer film. I don't know if anyone's seen it. Um, it's really terrifying. I, I'd say the first half of it, the first maybe two-thirds of it's the best part of it. When they finally kind of do a fuller reveal of what's actually happening, I'm like, oh, okay, it's not as scary. But the, what's building up to it and what they're showing you is terrifying. Um, terrifying. Because it also deals with per, being a parent and having a child and infecting your child and like one child isn't infected and he's got taking care of the father and this and the brother as they go through this like thing and you don't know what it, but the father's the most of i can't even i couldn't i could not watch antlers again at least the first two-thirds by myself that's how scary it was so it's, it's a recommendation but i mean i think to like to get back to Giger, like, I feel like Giger is all of these things. It's us going through transformation. It's us being f physically transformed against our will, even if it's just a chest burst, you know, or, you know, being, you know, having the, the face hugger on our, on our face. Like, but it's still like, I'm just curious, like with everybody, like, how does your experience with these things that scare you, how is it different for the Giger beast? Does the Giger beast still scare you? Also, it's almost a litmus test species. There's another example of a Giger beast, 100% not scary. It just it just doesn't work for me at all. I don't know if it works for you guys. It's there's there's the gore factor maybe, but it's completely lacking that that sense of of being uh, almost a violation the way that the beast does. So I just throw that in there too. You're talking about Sill? Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, Species, the movie series, there's like, I don't know, three in a TV show or some crap, but it just doesn't, it's, it's, it's his work beautifully Six presented. in a TV show. Really? Wow. Yeah. I did I've not seen like that. four of them. <laughs> they that didn't into scare software. me at all either. Yeah. Like not in the slightest. So I don't know what that intangible is too. I mean, I think it's all the things we touched upon, the body horror, the not being in control, the, you know, 
the human aspect of those movies and the stories of what the human horror brings. And then even going into, I know it wasn't on, but the egg morphing, which is part of, you know, that utter transformation. That's just horrifying. Um, which I know wasn't, you know, actually a thing, but, um, there's just so much, whatever the intangible is. And I don't know if you can pinpoint it because I think movie makers would have, you know, captured that more often. And it's just so hard to capture. It was like lightning in a bottle for whatever, all of the elements came together. Um, And every now and then it happens, but I don't think quite in the same way as, as the creature. I think just going back to Syl and Natasha Hentridge, I can't say Natasha Henstridge. I had a root canal today, by the way. So if I'm mumbling, that's this was two, <laughs> three hours ago. So I'm still a little bit numb. Uh, Natasha Henstridge's character in Species, uh, part of why I think that that is not as effective is because it doesn't do what Under the Skin does, right? So Under the Skin is an example of a movie that kind of has a similar plot set up somewhat, right? There's this like femme fatale, you know, mutant uh, alien who finds herself preying on men, basically, right? It's kind of like the setup for Syl as well. But Under the Skin is like, it, it takes this setup that we've seen a million times uh, and it turns it on its head, obviously, you know, in that, you know, as Jamie beautifully pointed out, it flips it so that she is the one that's sort of being pursued and it kind of becomes topsy-turvy. But also it's uh, it's very unclear what her motivations are as it goes along. You start kind of questioning like what she's even doing and so does she. And in the process of questioning her own uh, you know, actions starts to like uncover deeper things about the human condition. And then all of a sudden you're like in a movie that you didn't expect to be in. Species never goes there because Species is just this like escape story through like having sex and killing men. And like the male gaze that is weaponized so beautifully in Under the Skin in very intentional ways is not weaponized in Species. It's just like literal. It's it's like you said, it's like basically softcore pornography, which is nothing wrong with that. But that's why it's not like, you know, immortal. I think that uh, also like her design is just, I, I mean, obviously it's, it's Giger wasn't at his best when he was doing that movie. And it is much more of a literal sort of just like sexy semi-alien creature. It's just not, you know, it's, it's not unclear. There's no, there's none of that beautiful ambivalence that we keep talking about. Uh, but what I will say about species that the DVD of it has a lot of great Giger um, like interviews and special features on it and a lot of his unused production artwork and some of his sketches. And so that like, you know, I'm glad Species exists only so that I personally have the DVD that allows me to get more Giger content. What year did Species re- uh, release? 1974. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea what it was. Early 90s? Yeah, mid 90s. 92. So it was after, I'm sorry, it was after Alien 3. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I, even with Giger's design for Alien 3, his creature concept, as we all know, was far more feminine. It's the most feminine that he, he did, like in terms of Michelle Pfeiffer's lips, the slink of its legs, the curve of its back, even its like weird um, shoulder things. I don't know what you would call those things, but it was really, really feminine. So he was kind of on that. I mean, his stuff has always been like strangely feminine, but it also is oddly sexual, not oddly sexual. It's like perversely sexual. So you have things going into orifices. I mean, even the, the, the derelict is this thing that looks like it's got like vaginas all over it or, and then inside it, it looks like it's got like penises in like, it's just weird stuff. But then species like takes that like and runs with it, but it takes the obvious parts of it, you know, not the like, 
understated parts of it, which I think is weird. Like I, I could tell with Species, I remember when the trailers came out for that movie before, because I think I'd actually seen it in the theater because I was old enough at that point. But I remember thinking they're trying to do another alien, even the name Species. They were trying to do, but it was just hokey and it was r- ridiculous and it was over the top. And yeah, it, it was an interesting time for Giger in terms of his movie design. You know, the thing, the, the, the creature effects in that were a direct response to Alien. The Robotan and the others were saying, it's so good until you can tell that it's a guy in a suit. So why don't we do a movie where you never see that it's a guy in a suit? And that's so wonderful because there's so many movies. Like I love Split Second, but that's a good example of they're just trying to do exactly what Alien did. And you know, there's a whole list of those throughout the, the 80s and 90s. But the thing said, no, 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 let's let's you know take that gauntlet and, and try to go further with it. And the creature designer, correct me if I'm wrong, on Split Second had, I think, two weeks to come up with the design for it because it wasn't originally a monster movie. It was just this like noir. And then they're like, oh shit, we need to like put a monster in it to make it scarier. And so they gave him basically two weeks, which is similar to the situation that the guy who designed Slimer was in when Ghostbusters came out where they're like, oh, it's like put a sidekick in here and make him cute. And he just like did a bunch of coke and stayed up for four days and designed Slimer. And it came out great. <laughs> Same thing happened with Split Second. A little bit, a little bit different, a little more uh, generic. I'm curious, as we talked about stuff we loved, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't work. A lot of stuff that Patrick and I have had this discussion in our green rooms. And I know we have had ver- versions of it as well. Like the creature from that J.J. Abrams produced movie in Cloverfield. New York <laughs> yeah. never remember the name of that movie. I don't because it's just, yeah. But we see versions of that creature all over the place like with four different hands and they kind of walk like an ape but they're not and they've got all these appendages and they're or a quiet place or uh what's that chris pratt movie the tomorrow, tomorrow war. war yeah tomorrow like war, yeah. And mm. none of those things are scary to me none of them and it's interesting to see and i don't know what the time is but like how we know what scares us but yet with everything out there that has been authentically scary so many films that continue to come out are with creatures that are like, this is the best that you could do. Do you think that has something to do with the practical versus the computer effects? You know, like what would you say is probably the best CG creature that scares you? Cause I think that has a lot to do with it. Cause I think our mind reads it as, Oh, they're just adding things on and they can, and they're not, you know, there's that sort of, uncanny valley right it's not really moving the way it is so it's not really registering as scary is there something that lands with you that you can think of that's digital i i think the the it remake was good i know a lot of that was digital um but something that came what's his name scarsgard bill scarsgard i think he's in that suit in that makeup so there's a physical manifestation of him too which makes him, and then he's under that okay. set talking to the little boy in the in the in the yellow raincoat. So there's the part of that, like that's terrifying, you know. But that was actually real shot on set, you know. Um, but sure. then he and does get digital and huge. Oh yeah, there's a lot of digital effects in that. Yeah, like like um, you know, when she's when they're down in the sewer and a lot of those effects and like getting sucked up and like the all that was like still, I. I yeah, Andy, that's a good question. I I guess I wasn't like 
completely terrified by those things or there's but it wasn't tree i was still like intrigued even though knowing that some of that or or maybe all of it was cgi or computer generated but now that's i'm still a really good question no i yeah. think our examples are all yeah. practical yeah and even in, in contemporary movies like the bear from annihilation for example that was largely a practical effect that was yeah. like was really? a guy holding a giant bear oh, yeah. head up yeah and walking yeah. around wow. creepily and then of course they go back and they do you know digital they they they, they add to it but it was fundamentally a physical artifact. And that's a really good point. You know, my counters to that are mostly video games because I'm thinking I'm a, a very big horror game person and a lot of like my favorite horror video games do a great job of scaring the shit out of me but they're within a purely digital context and so maybe that's part of why it feels so cohesive to me like a game like Isolation for example right? like that's a game that has it's I mean it's literally all computer animated right. and yet it's very frightening but in the context of like having a live action film with CG elements it's funny so it uh which I adore, especially the first chapter. The second chapter is okay, but I think the first chapter is fantastic. Um, you know, I saw that in theaters a, a bunch of times, and I think Andy Muschietti, the director, is his did did Mama, which is a great, uh, you know, creature heavy movie. He's very scary uh, as a filmmaker, a really talented guy. The first time I saw it, I found it absolutely terrifying. I, I, I felt like it was like a sensory overload, even though I've read the book and I knew basically what was happening. There were still I closed my eyes at a few moments because like, oh my god, this is like freaking me out. And uh, the second time that I saw it and I was like very much watching the entire thing, it was like way less scary to me because of the digital stuff. Like I, I like the way that Pennywise's hair was animated and things. I just was like, oh, yeah, it's a computer. Even moments like, uh, you know, when one, one of the bullies uh, whose first name is Patrick, which is funny. There's a Patrick and a Henry of like two of the main bullies, but we always joke about in our family. Um, <laughs> you know, when he uh, when he's like crawled the zombies crawling out from under the bed and things like that's something where the first time when I was kind of closing my eyes, I thought it was frightening. Second time I saw it, I was, it was like, it just looked like a, a cartoon to me. There, there was something to that, Andy, that you're absolutely onto. And I think the alien films are maybe the best uh, case study of it because of even the moments in Co covenant, which, you know, we all basically all of us agree that that covenant contains some of the best alien footage, like Christian said, since 1992. Um, the moments that work the best are largely the moments that remained practical or that they they didn't superimpose too much digital stuff over it. The scariest things are Ben Rigby shuddering and, you know, and, and Karen uh, and, you know, freaking out in the med bay with him. Like those moments are really scary, but not necessarily because of the actual creature stuff, but it's because of the humans that are involved in it. You know, I'm really curious, uh, Andy, you brought up the, the pale man from um, Pan's Labyrinth that predates Covenant by a number of years, but the pale man and the protomorphs, there's a similarity there. Yeah. Oh, for you know, sure. Even the Neo, yeah. neomorph. Did I call it a protomorph? Yeah. yeah. The white ones, those, <laughs> those white guys. But again, in one case you have, oh, I just lost his name. The fantastic actor. Uh, the, Doug. Doug Jones. Jones. Yeah. Yes, Jones. Doug, Doug Jones in practical makeup versus they had a guy in a suit for, for, uh, the actors, you know, eye lines, but then they completely replaced it with CG. And it's it's good CG, but the scene that, that Jamie last time was talking about that he loves after um, Rosenthal has been killed, it's too CG for me. That there, even though it's standing there, it's almost still. Why couldn't that have been a practical effect? Why couldn't that have been Doug Jones standing there? And when you look at um, the Shape of Water, 
it's again, Doug Jones in practical makeup that they've gone in and very lovingly tweaked with CG after, after the fact to make the, the appliance breathe a little more or uh, have a little bit more eye movement. But at its core, it's a physical performance and it is, it's beautiful. And I just, I, I, I desperately want that back for the Alien films. Just came to mind uh, quickly is, I don't know how many of you have seen the Conjuring films, but there's a moment, I, wait, is it the, no, wait, wait, wait. Yo, those are fucking good. The first the amputee shot. The amputee Actually, shot. I'm thinking of, mm. um, what's the film with the same actor, Patrick Wilson, but he has to go into something called The Further. That's not The Conjuring, it's... Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> um, <laughs> He goes There's into two the of them. further, the further to get his son. So he goes to sleep and he wakes up and he leaves his body um, because his son is being held. The, the soul of the son is being held. What happens is they flash like the son ends up getting up and they flash to something. And for a split second, you see this black thing holding his son's arms up because it's in the other world, holding his this body of the sun up in our world. What are those fucking films called? I'm surprised you guys don't know what I'm talking about. I'm looking. Are you talking about Insidious? Insidious. Oh, Insidious. Yes, yes. And that thing. And then there's another moment where the woman who is an older woman actor, she's she's like the medium and she's in the room. And she's like, something's in here. And she looks up at the ceiling and she's like, Oh my God. And she's terrified and she's playing the scene so well. And they flash to it and it's completely black. And you just see eyes coming out. Reminds me of Gamork from never ending story, which I, as a child that scared me to death, seeing that black wolf in the cave. Of course it's all practical. And now as an adult, it's kind of cheesy, but at that point for a kid that really worked, that scared me to death um, because you see eyes and kind of nothing eyes in the dark. Um, so your mind is making up whatever else it's seeing. I think there's something to your brain registering that you are seeing something real. Cause there's animated movies that scared me, you know, like, I don't know about you. <laughs> I'm dating myself, but did you guys ever see the um, animated watership down? Uh, the original, yes. the, like the yes. only one that exists. Yeah. yeah the only one that it was <laughs> horrifying, but because we knew we were watching an animated feature, like, our brain was registering that and we, you know, we were in the story. I think when they try to digitalize something in a practical world and they have it interact with real actors, we, we know the jig is up. Like we, it, our brains can't quite register that. And so it's never quite as scary as if you build the actual creature practically. I, I think there's something to that because I have yet to be as scared by a digital creature in a practical world versus an actual practical one. I'm trying to think of one and I can't. I can't either. I feel like personally, because CG makes anything possible, I don't believe in any of it. And what I'm discovering is um, I was so disappointed with that realization that so many movies were just going to, you know, now we're going to fly right up his nose or in his ear for Covenant <laughs> or, you know, all this crap that now... I just assume everything is CG and I'm discovering, oh no, no, that was a practical effect or that was a model shot. You know, love or hate the rise of Skywalker. There's an amazing amount of, of uh, puppetry and animatronics in that movie. It's a gorgeous film. Gorgeous, gorgeous film. Yeah. We'll just stop there and I'll That's talk about it. the story. Yeah. But <laughs> were, were they even the, um, there's a character that was fully CG in um, the force awakens that they then made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? I, I've already stopped believing in this character 
and especially when she's interacting with a with a terrible CGI version of Carrie Fisher. So whatever. My point is, um, movies are having to kind of earn my disbelief, my my lack of disbelief back. I don't know how to say that. Or your suspension of disbelief. Yes, yes, yes. We all remember that moment. The first time we heard a theme from our favorite movie. How it stayed with us. Comforted us. Stirring our imagination. Sublime Noise is our Patreon-exclusive film score review show. Starting at just $4 a month, you will gain access to Sublime Noise, as well as our Warehouse of Framerate episodes, where we discuss and review our favorite films. To sign up, go to www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. The CGI that glutted the market for 20 years has made me not believe in the magic that I did believe in the 80s and early 90s. And now we're getting back to a place where there's a better mix. The It's a 50-50 blend quite often. And I need to start believing in it a little more because there's some amazing stuff happening out there. But I can't think of a single purely CGI monster that works for me. And maybe it's my age. I'm about turning 45. Maybe I just, I'm the old man shaking my fist at the clouds. <laughs> I'm uh, right well, there with you then, I guess. <laughs> so then... Maybe like as we kind of go full circle as we head towards wrapping this episode, what movie recently, I'm going to say in the fa- past five years, scared everybody? And not creeped you those- out. Not just creeped you out of this is creepy. I mean scared you. Uh, just to throw one into the mix, I think The Color Out of Space, the Richard Stanley adaptation from a few years ago uh, got really under my skin. Specifically, the the parenting stuff in there like yeah. really fucks me up a lot. And I think does a wonderful job of amplifying some of the themes in the in the original story and doing it in a really bizarre way. And uh, it's got great practical effects that harken back to the glory days. Um, and I think uh, yeah, of of you know like the 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 the, the Botan and the Rick Baker stuff. Uh, you know, I, I think that that's a, a really frightening movie, and it has stayed with me quite a bit. But nothing nothing recently has stayed with me the way that Annihilation has. That's the movie mm. that like just one hundred percent to me stands up to uh to the classics that we're talking about for a lot of reasons that we've already enumerated i mean it was the first frame rate episode we ever did it was one of the first uh score episodes we did for sublime noise it's a it's a film that we bring up all the time it's a film that made me fall in love with alex garland more than i already was uh you know and his other things are even the beach the novel is another you know example i've actually never watched the movie i don't think it's as good as the book is I've heard, but you know, that, that book like really freaks me out quite a bit for very different reasons. Uh, I think devs, his series that he did on Hulu in 2020. I mean, my God, that has like, I think about that shit all the time that, that mm-hmm. like really got into a weird part of my head. Um, and ex machina as well, like just, just, just deeply unsettling filmmaking. And so I think that Alex Garland is a great example of a filmmaker. Who, and so, well, here, so there's a lot of digital stuff going on in ex machina that I find scary uh, with Alicia Vikander's, you know, character. Although that being said, it's, it's not, it's not unsettling in the same way that these other things that we're talking about are, but um, the way that she's able to move, you know, is very unsettling. It, like digital stuff allows us to, I, I think when it's used well at its best and annihilation is a case study in this, it's when it's used in service of amplifying physical things that you see on screen. So like, or like what Christian was talking about with the shape of water, which actually I'm not a huge fan of that movie. Me neither. Uh, 
I don't know why I just, I just can't, I'm, for some reason it doesn't, doesn't speak to me. Um, but the, you know, but, but the CG in that does hundred percent. The first time I saw it, I saw his, you know, the, the reverse eyelids flapping shut. I was like, Whoa, this is really, really sophisticated usage of digital stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I, but I, I th- those are a couple for me. I was going to say ex machina is probably the most, the one I saw, I saw it fairly recently. Um, so I know it's not as recent, you know, it's not like five years, but deeply unsettling. I, I keep thinking about it. So I'm with you on that. I think there is, um, and you're right. I didn't think about the digital aspect. It's not so much a creature design that's scary, but it's the, the realness of her and the just, I mean, that one has stayed with me. I think that's on the top of my list of ones recently. So I'm with you there. I have to watch Devs. I've not seen it and I need to. It is such a work of art. Do you know when it first premiered? Do you know what day? March 5th, 2020. We're talking six uh, days uh, before the WHO declared a global health crisis. So, and it is such a testament to the staying power of that shit that it, the first episode came out right before COVID became this you know enormous pandemic. And then like the rest of it aired during the early days when everything was falling apart. And I still remember like every moment of it. Like I was still tuning in every single time to watch that show. It's just extraordinarily good. And you can still watch it on Hulu for those who haven't seen it yet. Okay. I don't have a movie, but the first season, especially of Stranger Things, had some really, really good practical effects, first of all, but just masterful storytelling that was scary. I'm hard pressed in the last five years. And honestly, I'm not sure that the stranger things was in the last five years. It's taken them forever, but that show out. <laughs> Gosh, you guys. Yeah. I, I can't hit the hammer on the nail head and on anything. I think super recent Think things that do come to mind though, are like archive 81 that I just watched on Netflix. I really enjoyed that. And there were episodes I was watching at home by myself that like really s- scared me. And I, I almost, there was one I had to, I was like, all right, I need to watch this later. Or I need to watch this at a different time. Um, and I, I really enjoyed things like that or like um, the haunting of Hill house uh, is another good one that I enjoyed that, that was um, just haunting and scary as well. Um, but I'd, I definitely need to check out some newer films. Like, I, Jamie, I do want to see Antlers for sure. Um, there, there are some things I could definitely, like, revisit. I don't, like, I'll put it this way. I'm not a huge horror or that sort of genre film watcher outside of, like, fall time. It's just, like, a thing for me. <laughs> and then when I'm, like, usually watching those films around halloween or in october i always like i'll you know there's all these other ones i could watch and then i always like fall back on like (laughs) um the ones i've seen a bunch of times already you know sort of that thing but i definitely could um do that one thing i i did want to say though um just touching on giger a little bit uh is that and like these sorts of like newer age horror and art that we see now um just something i've always like I, i've always put giger on like i don't know if i've necessarily like put him on like a pedestal or like his artwork but it's always like there's always like this separation from what he's created um 
versus like anything else. Like for me, it's just like the the world that he's created within his art. And and I guess I'm specifically touching on like what was um you know built upon in the alien universe. Uh but is just so much I don't know. It's it's like no one else can really touch or does a good job at trying to replicate or touch on that world as good as what we got in alien and things like that. And then when you go back and look at his artwork, um, I'm just like, I've never seen anything like, right. Which is why it's so unique and and so dark. And so like you can get lost in in some of those pictures and, and trying to figure out like, what is that? What is this? And like the mix of like, like the intimate mix of like machinery and like organic features and, and things like that um, is just so intriguing. Like it's just something that like clicks in our brain and, and maybe only in the alien fan community brain. Right. But like, it's so just like, it brings you in and you're just like, wow, I want to see a lot more of that to add just builds to that mystery of it and so what's what i think what why alien is so amazing and the just the creature and the beast itself is is that there there's so much mystery behind what that is exactly and you know still to this day we're like talking about what the life cycle is like and like how it's created and what this is and that and then you throw and then yeah, you throw in the the human aspect of like you have the company trying to control it and yada yada. Everything we've touched on in in past episodes just builds it into like this ultimate horrifying thing. And I just wanted to say that before before I forgot about, about anything else. But yeah, it's just uh, it's just a testament to it and and something of why I hold the Alien films still in in such regard above or or just apart from anything else and and the fact that they're so timeless but also why i still have nightmares <laughs> like literally last week about the beast and things like that because it's just so burned into my into my brain and and yeah i'm, I'm still just so horrified by that just a quick i, I want to just second the the haunting of hill house not necessarily as being a, a creature feature but as something that got like very deeply under my skin you know we watched it the first time when it came out before the pandemic and everything. And I was like very distracted by how frightened I was during, like not distracted, but I was like fixating on how scary it was to me. Cause like, it's so rare that I'm that freaked out by something uh, nowadays. And then the second time we watched it, which was during the pandemic, it like hit me this emotional tidal wave. Like I, I remember it very distinctly, like the last three episodes just destroyed me and the sense of loss and the sense of, uh, I don't know. It, it's just, it's an astonishing achievement. And Mike Flanagan, you know, immediately became one of my favorite filmmakers as a result of that. And since then I've gone through, you know, his back catalog, you know, my sister comes over and we watch, we have like a weekly horror movie night where my sister comes and my wife and my sister and I, we all watch scary movies. And so we've gone through like all of his stuff. We've become huge fans of his. And I have to say his, you know, more recent things also are really good, including Midnight Mass, which has a lot of very good, gonna... very good creature stuff in it, which is mostly digital. 
Thank there's you. there's shots in that that like scare the shit out of me. Although it's not as frightening as Haunting of Hill House, but even Bly Manor, which is a, almost like a period romance in some ways, that has a lot of images that really get under my skin too. So Mike Flanagan is another example of a filmmaker I think who gets who gets it and um, and uses these things in, in really good ways. But yeah, Haunting of Hill House, in my opinion, is like the best achievement in horror of any kind of like the last, in my opinion, five years. I think it's extraordinary, extraordinary. Can I, can I say something too? I definitely didn't mean to say that like no other filmmakers or, or anyone has like certainly gotten to like the level of Giger esque or, or just like that horror. Like there's definitely Patrick, as you say, um, people that understand it and get that and, and do their own thing with it that, that are, awesomely unique um and midnight mass was something i freaking loved like it was so close to salem's lot for me like watching that and again around fall time i, I remember it uh perfectly <laughs> but um i i loved that show that show was great and um like I, I wanted to know so much more about the thing like the vampire thing and and sorry if i'm spoiling anything if no one's seen it but uh yeah, like where it came from. And like, I, I already have ideas of like, if they do a second season, I'm like where that could go. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely some really great artists out there that that um, do get close or touch and and pull on like those strings of like what Giger and the horror and just like what he, he created and, and sort of built upon. But um, yeah, Patrick, thanks for bringing up Midnight Mass. I forgot about that one. I would say for me that, Certainly Midnight Mass is up there, as is um, actually Dr. Sleep. Uh, the, the first two-thirds or a little bit more of Dr. Sleep is full of foreboding. Foreboding does what Giger does a little bit, where you're like, what's happening? I don't know what's happening. What are we looking at in terms of Giger? We don't know what we're looking at. What's it doing? We don't know what it's doing. It's here. You know, That's terrifying to me. I think that there's two types of horror. There's the horror that – which Alien embodies. Aliens – both atmospheric horror and visual horror, um, and then body horror. And then their ship almost becomes the derelict because their ship, which is something familiar to them, then becomes unfamiliar. They can go down to the depths where they know where they have to go to do this and that, but what's down there? Well, we don't know where it is down there. So what is familiar to them, what has become their home, has now become a death trap for them in space. And that's terrifying too. So it's even more body horror. It's the body of their home being dismantled psychologically because they don't know where they're safe. And I think that it's great. In terms of recent horror, Hereditary is the scariest thing I've seen in 10 years, hands down. I, I think Mike Flanagan is great at psychological horror and the horror of humanity. And certainly in Midnight Mass, the horror of the horror of the church, the modern day church, what it's devolved to, how it's, it's factions of it, because there's a lot of great churches out there too, obviously. But a lot of factions of church sees these terrible, horrible things and they'll say, oh no, it's God's will. It's God's this. They throw God out there as God doing this and blah, 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 and this is actually good, and blah, 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 and they see tyrants, and they say, no, this tyrant's a tool of God, and, like, it's terrifying things, and that's a lot of what Midnight Mass is, what's going on in Midnight Mass is these horrible, horrible things are happening, and the church is saying, no, these are actually good things, um, when, in fact, they are not, and that, to me, you can't get scarier than the church, and uh, to that end, atmospherically, 
Mike Flanagan all the way. Hereditary also has some things that's going on with Alien where there, it's a home of a family and that home starts turning into something else. Have you guys all seen it? No. Oh, oh God. God, it's, uh, it's, it's such a so fucking disturbing. scary movie. It's so, so yeah, disturbing. I mean, I'm not going like, mean, to, I don't I like to even, think about it. I haven't it. even spoiled any of it, but like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, so you have this family and there's things happening with this family and this home that's very warm and cozy looking then starts changing, but it's not physically changing, but it's psychologically changing with the children, with the mother, with the father. And the whole time you're like, what's actually happening to them? And you do not know. You do not know what's happening to them. And it gets worse and it's worse and it gets worse until you see, you know, I, I mean, what, which I've already said, there's one moment of moments where Tony Collette, it's pitch black. Her son gets up in the middle of the night, just sitting on his bed. And there she is in the corner of his bedroom in the pitch black, just looking down at him. But you barely see her. Um, it's that kind of terrifying. I've not ever seen anything like that. And that's the tame part of what's going on in this movie. So, And the yeah. escalation of it is so yes. the way that like it's it starts as a movie that is just sort of like unsettling. But you kind of think it's just like a sort of a family film. Not a family film, but it's like about a family, and then it just just becomes this like re- very quickly becomes like clearly a horror movie. Like there's a moment when like it becomes that, and then it just escalates all the way until the end of the movie, and it doesn't make any more sense the entire time. And that's something that you know we've talked at infinitum on this little mini series already about this, but so many filmmakers don't understand the power of not explaining things. You know, like and that's something that Ari Aster I think gets in spades. And I think, uh, you know, and, and Robert Eggers is another example of a filmmaker who just just present the audience with things that they have to inject themselves into to understand. And that subjective experience will be so much more frightening than anything else that you could ever put on screen. And just briefly, like there's moments in The Thing, for example, that we've already talked about many times that, that are so frightening and it has nothing to do with what you're seeing. It has to do with the sound that you hear. And you just immediately like retreat into some like animal lizard part of your brain and you think like, what the fuck was that sound, right? There are moments in the sound design and the scoring of that that are just incredibly good. Um, one other thing, and then I'll shut up. I know I'm talking a lot, but I like this stuff a lot. Um, oh, really? Silent Hill. <laughs> I know, I'm literally in, covered with alien shit and, and horror stuff. Silent Hill is a great example of, um, as I'm flashing a Michael Myers knife on my tattoo suit. Uh, Silent Hill is a great example of a horror franchise that I think has consistently, at least for the first four games developed by Team Silent, but even some of the later ones, gotten it. The first Silent Hill, has it, have any of you played it? And Perry has. No, so it's it's in, it's came out, I think 1997. The movie, the movie's okay. It's okay. It's got it's got some moments in it. There's two movies actually. Uh, the, the first Silent Hill game that came out in 1997 is, to, to my mind, like a great work of horror. And the second Silent Hill game that came out a few years later to me is one of my absolute all-time favorite works of horror. And it is another example of something that is a journey into into the subjective and all of the horror trappings of it, like the monsters and the gore, they come from very deep thematic places that turn things on their head the more you experience it. And I don't want to say anymore because of, you know, I want people to be able to play them. But to me, like Silent Hill is a great example of a franchise that understands it in a very deep way. And it explains some things, but a lot of it is just never explained. And that means that you stay up at night wondering like, what the fuck did I see? Like, why was it moving like that? Why was I hearing static on the radio and there's nothing coming out of the fog or the mist, the mist being another great Stephen King, uh, you know, 
story that ended up becoming a very fucking frightening monster movie with one of the bleakest, probably the bleakest ending I've ever seen in, in, in any movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, that's another good one too. I'll shut up. And the scariest part of the mist was us, our reaction yeah. to it, which I think was great. Can I say too, uh, just oh, quick yeah. shout out, Tony Collette, amazing actress. Like I, I say it all the time, but actors definitely just further extend the horror if as much as they can embody and believe and just make it so believable. And she is just one of the, she's so good. There's that one moment in Annihilation where they're watching the videotape and they, have you guys all seen it? Yes. Okay. Where they open him up and you see the eel like things crawl. That's one of the scariest things I've seen on camera in a long time. And that's digital. Obviously, I mean, I would imagine it's digital, but it's very effective. And you just, you look and it's actually, I mean, it's body horror. It's body, dis, it's, it's everything, you know? And they're like, what's going on? And they're like, we don't know, you know? And, but we almost don't even know if we're actually seeing what they're even seeing it. They could be imagining, but I guess it's on tape. So the women are seeing it too. It's just, that was terrifying to me. I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> And the next evidence you have of what happened to them is like this incredibly beautiful, terrible, gorgeous, mortifying thing in the deep end of the pool, the right? Mural, yeah. Yeah, and it's just this work of art that is cataclysmic in its beauty, right? You just look at it and you're terrified. Like, I mean, what more do you need to say? Like, uh, uh, Annihilation, I think, is, is just is just an astonishing achievement. It is. Well, and I know that there's always more to talk about it. I love this topic. I love talking about what scares me because I'm always trying to find out more like well, what will scare me? What does scare me? And um, there's other films that I've even mentioned that scare me to death. I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. Those of you who are listening, please write, write us, tell us what scares you and why. And um, we'll come back with listener feedback on what scares you and take this conversation even further as we kind of discuss this in the context of Giger's monster and why that continues to scare us and why we can't look away from it either, which I think is like some, some of the stuff that we're talking about, I feel like I'll cover my eyes. Giger's monster is terrifying, but I can't stop looking at it, which is weird. It's like you said, Patrick, I don't know, a couple months ago, it's like looking, looking into oblivion when we look into it, into its face. If it's a face, we know it has teeth, but it doesn't have eyes. What are we looking at? We don't really know. So I'm, I'm excited to like further explore that and also hear listener feedback. And so you guys can tell us what you think. Anything else? Homework for Christian and (laughs) Andy. Hereditary. Okay, I know. <laughs> I do not I want to watch to. that movie again. I don't I want to watch it again. I want to watch I, it tonight, kind of, but I, I'm too scared. I don't want to fucking watch it. I don't want to watch it. I love Tony Collette, and I love the span of her career. Uh, but the most heartbreaking thing she ever did was a movie called Japanese Story, and it's not a, a traditional horror movie at all. It's it's about a very real thing that could happen, and I won't say what it is, but. Um, you will just everyone should go see Japanese story. It's at least 15, maybe 20 years old at this point. Okay. Um, she should have gotten an Oscar for that role. At the end, she's amazing, absolutely. Yeah. Everything she does, including the film that we did a frame rate about that was on Netflix last year by Charlie Kaufman called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. That's another movie that, right. although although it's not a horror film, it it 
is very deeply unsettling and she's like so fucking scary in that movie and that's another one yeah clearly this could go on for a lot longer and maybe it maybe it will maybe we'll do a you know patreon roundtable or something on horror movies that we recommend and that you recommend to us but before we uh you know close out tonight we have a couple new patrons to thank uh and a cl- point of clarification it is jason juta not Huda. So thank you, Jason. Jason has a comic book, an alien comic book that he has done, which you can read at least parts of now in Building Better Worlds, the Facebook group that you should be a part of, uh, which is tied to the show. But also uh, a feature will be, uh, and, and a feature interview will be conducted with him by Jamie, and that will go on the Hadley's Hope section of our website, perfectorganism.com. Hadley's Hope is the fan community page where we post works of art, you know, original fiction, et cetera, from people in the in the greater PO orbit. And so Jason, uh, you know, is a, a patron. He has this thing going. Please support him. It looks awesome. Uh, also want to just welcome Lee Davies, who just joined us on Patreon, as well as uh, John Martino, who joined us a couple weeks ago. Thank you to everybody who is a part of this ship. And uh, if you would like to join the USS Aeronome, you can go to perfectorganism.com slash support or just search us on Patreon. And we uh, would absolutely love to have you aboard. Thank you very much. And just in terms of Patreon, we are rolling up to Alien Day and Almost everything we're doing this year, I mean, every year, but certainly this year, is coming from that money. So, like, this audio drama that we're working on is probably the most uh, audacious thing we've ever done. I feel like we say that every year, but this year it's really true. Um, And I'm really, really excited about it. So, thank everyone who has supported us, which includes everyone in this group right here, including myself and Patrick. I mean, we all support the show in our own way. So thank you. And um, if you do, you can get, if you do support us starting off at $4 a month, you can get sublime noise. And we are talking about film scores that we love. And you can also listen to frame rate, which is our film review discussion. show, which we've all been on um, at this point, I think. Uh, So yeah, uh, come aboard and support the show. It all goes to really good things. And thank everyone for listening. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. For more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit perfectorganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.